Logan sitting dockside talking about oily ponds, hot summer, getting right around July 4th on this podcast. Happy Independence Day. And but that lake starts to get oily, film on top. Is it bad? Where's it come from? I mean, we're gonna talk about that today on the podcast. And we get to hear about Troy's philosophy on crappy. Crappy or crappie or Sacole if you're in South Louisiana. It's changed a lot through the year. My 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 recommendations on that. First of all, www.pwnra.org is the site you should be on. The Facebook page is Lake and Pond Management Questions, Content, and Community. You should be on that. And go to whatever podcast service you listen to, like, and comment on this podcast if you're enjoying what we're doing. We got a great show about oily water and crappie today. We hope y'all enjoy it. That's right. Yeah, I will say it just to lead in a little cliffhanger. There's some new tech, new thought process, new philosophies on stock stocking crappie, and they may surprise you. So change over the years, and we'll talk about it tonight. That's right. Well, we're your hosts, Matt Rail and my Tennessee buddy, Troy Goldsby. Together we have been working with lakes and ponds for over 40 years. And during that time we have picked up on a ton of tips and tricks from lake owners and experts from all over the country. So if you want to learn how to catch some smiles from your kids or grandkids on your lake, or learn how to grow some memories on your pond, then come sit with us on Sitting Dockside. Sitting Dockside. What's up, y'all? What's up, one, more, <laughs> one more week, starting uh, this hot July. Interesting week. We talked about fish kills, and we had two of them at the hatchery this week that were starting. We recovered, lost a few fish, but... I was actually, Troy, I was listening to the podcast as fish were trying to die at the hatchery at three in the morning. Listen, as we've told y'all, even the greatest on earth, Matt and myself, <laughs> can occasionally have fish issues. So That's right. We had some stressed fish. Listen to that podcast, why? Uh, but it, we had about six days of rain. But And, uh, well, it didn't really rain. Six days of cloudiness and some other factors. And, uh um yeah it was it was a rough it's been a rough couple days my week matt has been filled with adventures and loveliness and as it typically is in the summer months uh, <laughs> so sign up we're we're fixing to talk about one of these topics but uh we've been controlling cyanobacteria this week controlling taste and odor issues and drinking water intakes from what's called geosmin and MIB. So that's kind of been our week and uh, we are tired, yep. ready, ready for a little three day weekend and excited about it. So. Yep. You really want to dive in cyanobacteria, listen to Ken Wagner's talk. We also did a cyanobacteria that kills your dog, I think is the name of that podcast, but why it comes when it comes but uh one of those is heat and we're coming into a hot part of the year and that's a that's very that's very hard to predict but what i can tell you is that if you want to know how to prevent any type of uh issue with cyanobacteria is uh don't have cyanobacteria (laughs) (laughs) if you eliminate cyanobacteria you have no adverse effects that are associated with cyanobacteria that's right but cyanobacteria, we, I'm not going to go down that road today because uh, we we've got a couple casts, and I think we'll probably bring in another expert here in the next few. But the uh, that all being said, is usually you know we've had some crazy rainstorms. We got a hurricane down 
that's forming down the Gulf. Else, uh, we got hot. We got hot weather. Yes, yeah, right. We got hot weather going on right now, and you got these really crazy change events. I, that's the best way to say it. You know, it goes from really hot to really cold um, and calmy. And what happens a lot of times is during this change event, you have planktonic that's really uh, really kicking, high nutrients. And, and a lot of ponds and lakes and they're really kicking and there's a change event with temperature. So therefore they die. Uh, and these planktonic, particularly planktonic algaes, sometimes even rooted vegetation have cell walls and they make diesel fuel out of algae. And so what, uh, so that, you know, they have oil inside of them. And so when they decompose the cell wall, which is an oily film, uh, starts to decompose and then rises to the top. We get a lot of calls. And the reason I'm even talking about this, we get a lot of calls usually after a rainstorm goes through the night or there's no wind on that pond or lake that morning. Uh, people are really interested. We have these oily films on top of the surface. I mean, it really just looks like a lot of people get them confused with pollen and, and that, uh, um, you can also know that it's really happening when you look at your diffuser and you have these big, gigantic uh, golf ball sized bubbles all surrounding. Uh, do, blue, do blue greens do that too, man? Yeah, blue, blue greens have got the cell wall too. And as they, as they uh, decompose, those the green algaes, any planktonic algae, and I've actually seen uh, where we've uh, treated some. Uh, rooted vegetables, some potamogetan, some pond weeds and that sort of thing. And as they decompose too, the oils will come out of them and, and so sit anytime on them. you've had a anytime you've had a massive plant die off of any type, whether it's macrophytes that are submerged or phytoplankton, which is microscopic green algae, or if you have blue green algae die off and that cell wall breaks down, then you could have these oily films on the surface, correct? That's right. Yep. It's due to, and you, they really come and you really see them, um, right after, um, like I said, a, a cold front comes through and, or one morning you had a cold night and that morning there's just not a breath of wind and that oil just, just kind of sits around on yeah, the surface. So we're expecting, we're expecting right now, I think tomorrow morning, maybe we're at 59 tomorrow morning. Something crazy. Yeah. There's a cold front. You'll see it. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, listening, which you're going to be listening probably three days after this is actually recorded. But if you listen to this and you had oil on your lake, like two days ago, it could be from this scenario that we're, that we're discussing. So keep in mind that may not be a huge issue, but, um, you could see an oily film from some yeah. type of phytoplankton or cyanobacteria die off, uh, yeah, I'm going to say two more things about it and then I'll move on. One is there is cyanobacteria when it dies. It creates a different film. It's usually a blue, green, gray, or a really hazy green. It has some color to it. Um, too. Yeah, can be red. Actually, uh, we have we have one pond um, that at the hatchery tries when it gets hot. It gets uh, really a almost like a, a pink color to it and uh which is pretty interesting but the long times you can see it right on the surface that's blue green algae bloom that's something else uh, but we're just talking about it just looks like you know some oil uh on the surface but 
Also, is it harmful? Nine times out of ten, is not. It does create a you know barrier of the surface. It does probably your fish won't uh, usually feed as well when you have it, and I think that's just because there's a change of it that happened. It might be a little bit lower on oxygen, but do we see uh, fish kills you know in parallel with with this? Not usually. Um, usually, it's if their fish were going to die, they would die a long time before you see this oil t- oil spill anyway. So. Um, it's just something to think about. And again, the way I can always tell is if you, I'll, uh, we have a, we had one customer that he had one die, a plankton, a plankton die off happened so much that half his pond was bubbles literally from his bottom based aeration system. It just bubbled wow. and created, it was like, uh, like somebody poured soap in it. So that was kind of cool. But, uh, another thing that we get a lot of, uh, questions about on the, on the Facebook page Troy is is crappie. There's been a lot of you know a lot of old traditional thought processes of crappie, and I know you yourself have changed a little bit of those philosophies. Like uh, one being, if it's a small lake, small pond, less than ten acres, don't do crappie. Uh, yeah, it used to be less than twenty acres uh, was kind of the rule of thumb on crappie, and this was kind of the running theme for years in the industry was whether to stock crappie or not to stock crappie. And I, we've probably discussed this before, but I see a lot of posts lately about crappie, and it's probably pretty timely to revisit that topic. Um, crappie are interesting; um, they can become a problem, but they're typically a problem if they're stocked at the same time as everything else. So a lot of times we see fish trucks come through and they're like, Hey, do bluegill shellcracker, fathead minnows, golden shiners, bass and crappie. And here you go, go put them in your lake. You're going to rock and roll. And then about two years later, all you have is about 14 billion, three inch crappie. That's all that's left. So, and so the, the thought process years ago was that it was a lake size issue. And so it was really anything above 20 acres, you could stop crappie, but you had to do it in the right fashion. Anything under 20 acres, it just wasn't appropriate to stop crappie. And we've really changed that philosophy uh, in terms of how we look at crappie. And I, I don't know, Matt, what have you changed how y'all have done that? Or has it always kind of been? Actually I have in the last, uh, last five years with, with conversations with guys like you and, and Greg Grimes and, and Barden and, and whatnot, the, uh, you know, some things are just taught and you just, you know, believe them forever. I mean, like the old school says, don't stock them because you get a bunch of small crappie. We never ask why, right? We never say, right. and then I, then I retrospectively looked at all the ponds that I, that I do population estimates on or shocks and how many of them are crappie crowded very few, very you know, few. very few. And I shock a lot of ponds with crappie in them. And a lot of times people want more crappie. And so it's pretty interesting. I don't, um, so that made me start to go back to the schooling pool of maybe there, there is a place for them, but we have to learn more about them. Yeah. And so what we've started doing is that in any size pond or lake, oh my goodness, I think I just broke our printer. I've gained a little weight. (laughs) I'm not sitting on it. I just had my feet on it and I broke it. That's how big and strong I am. 
in any size pond or lake, if you want to stock crappie, kind of here's the rule of thumb is do your bluegill, your shell crack, your golden shiners, your fathead nuts, and get your pond started right. Come back in six to eight months later and stock your bass. Let them rock and roll for about a year. And then if you want to stock crappie after that, go in with crappie at probably, you know, 50 or 60 crappie per acre. Uh, and you should always have a reproducing population of crappie that will not get out of hand because the bass have gotten large enough that they can consume the smaller crappie just like they would a bluegill. Because if you look, I mean, I always hear people saying, hey, is that a bluegill or a crappie when they're looking at a two or three inch little fish because they get this, they kind of have a similar appearance when they're really little. And so bass are still eating those and they can kind of keep the crappie in check. Um, and if the crappie ever get out of hand and the bass aren't eating enough of them to keep them from getting too uh, thick in terms of numbers, you can stock hybrid striped bass uh, at a very low rate. They're fun to catch. They eat the crappie better than the bass do. And it makes for a, uh, a pretty cool uh, fishing experience. How many, if that, one, two, three, you stock on year three crappie scenario. How many of those have you ever seen turn about uh, crappie crowded? We haven't done a ton of them, Matt, but very, very, uh, none. I've never seen one of them. And here's the thing about crappie too, that everybody needs to understand in terms of how they spawn. So, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Matt, you may know better, but bass are what are known as intermittent spawners. So they can run up and drop some eggs and come back out drop some more eggs, come back out, drop more eggs, whatever. They can do it over a period of time. Crappie cannot do that. So everybody talks about crappies uh, spawning and producing so many fish, but they, they may only do that once every two or three or four seasons because if they go to spawn and they get pushed off of the bed before they spawn, they won't come back to drop their eggs. So you may miss two or three seasons of spawning and crappie but when they do spawn, they're very prolific. You'll have a you'll have a ton of little fish, and that's where having a well-established bass population comes into play. They will consume a lot of those small crappie, uh, and your larger crappie can continue to thrive. Go back to the beginning. What do you stock on that year three? What is your stocking rate? Man, it's it it fluctuates, but I would say somewhere between seventy and a hundred. Crappie what size? You know, like a three to four inch fish. Yeah. What you would yeah. consider kind of a, um, that would be kind of a medium to large bluegill size. When yeah. you're talking about how fish farms look at bluegill, medium to large, yeah. three to four inches in length. And if you look at a crappie two inches, it's half the width of a bluegill. I mean, yeah. and they're paper thin. I mean, there's nothing really to them. You almost see through them. So yeah, that's three, another thing to keep three, in mind. If you, if you stop crappie in a bass crowded lake at three to four inches, that's good base. Very few of them are going to survive. Right. Very few. It needs to be a well balanced bass and bluegill population. So the bass are still consuming the bluegill properly, and the crappie have a, a bit of a chance to, to reproduce the next spring. That's right. The I'm the same way, same numbers. I think those are great numbers, 75. To 100 fish about the same size you know it just gets bigger you know, the survival rate increases you can probably stock a little bit less but the 
if you go a little bit smaller than that and you already got a bass established, you're not going to, you're just wasting your money. They just won't, won't ever get off, off the ground. And, and listen, one of the questions I always get them, they're like, man, I, I went to this two acre lake and they've had crappie that are slabs for years and years. They've never had issues. And look, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason for why things actually happen. They just do what I'm telling you in terms of trying to manage for crappie and bass together. It can be done. It just has to be done in a very thoughtful manner and make sure you're willing to pursue further management in terms of other predators if the crappie ever um, present a problem. That's right. Then harvest. What do you tell people on the harvest side? You know, I don't really have a harvest rate. I would say that, you know, if you catch several slab crappie and you want to have a a, a great dinner, keep them and, and eat them. Uh, if you get in the scenario where you're seeing too many crappie and they're starting to stunt, then you need to start looking at ways to really get those fish out. And you're not going to be able to do that hook and line. So your harvest is going to have to come through the form of either electro fishing or another predator fish, like we've just already talked about. And that's going to be hybrid strike bass. Yeah. Two things on that. Usually, like you said, is a, I call it a cyclic spawner. You may have a year class on year, I don't know if you say you stock on year three, year six, you may have just a gigantic spawn. You, as you fish and you're getting a lot of fish that aren't growing as fast and they're starting to hit that six to eight, six to, you know, stunting area that we see a lot of these crappie at, that is the size of class. That's when you need to harvest a little bit more on heavier. A lot of times we just don't even see that though. There's so few that make it out of that spawning class. Uh, that they get up to that large, uh, larger size. But if you do see a year class that just explodes, it is that a great year out of that year. Harvest that size more, and uh, you'll get a thicker, a thicker slab on the other side of that. Another thing to say is, oh, with crappie, is that they are. Uh, and I'm going to ask you: when they're small, the old th- theory is that they would, they would compete with bluegill, and when they're big, they're going to compete with bass. What is, what is your answer to that? I think that's probably accurate. And that's why when we when we do crop it, we kind of recommend always stocking maybe annually fathead minnows to help uh, help the crappie get to a better size. Fathead minnows are a good source of forage uh, until they get larger. And then they'll compete with bass a little bit. Here's the thing. You're, you're putting a fish in a, re- in a private impoundment that is really made for deep water. Uh, if you think about a crappie and a bass, crappie and hybrid stripes are what are considered pelagic fish, which is a deeper water out from the bank type of fish. Uh, bass and bluegill are considered littoral zone fish, which is the, the near shore zone. But when you put all of these fish in a two or a three acre pond, you just don't have a lot of that. They all occupy the same space. So you start getting competition that you may not normally have in a large reservoir. So that's where the whole, the whole problem with this, this mixing of fish comes into play and why you have to potentially make corrections in your predator fish to make sure that everything continues to run smoothly. Yep. This is uh, the other shoe to drop. That's true. Is that uh, one is, is that just like Troy says that crappie are schoolers they you know a lot of times electro fishing uh troy even said earlier that harvesting some of those fish with electro fishing boat you can go over 
some habitat certain times a year and it literally looks white underneath you. They are, I mean, almost seems like 60, 70% of the crappie on a small, small lake are hanging around three or four bushes uh, during that time. So it is a great harvesting technique. That all being said, they hard, they school up so uh, dense and they really like the same habitat. A lot of times as largemouth bass. And so uh, if you're wanting to, to increase your crappie production and have a good, not a trophy, but a good bass population and a good bluegill, make sure you have the habitat for both. Uh, once you are in that smaller body of water, you will have some competition. Uh, will it get to a point of you having a bunch of small four-inch crappie? No, that's what we're saying. We don't think it's going to, especially we know it won't after you have an established bass population. Uh, but is it going to give you some competition, uh, on your bass and your bluegill? Yeah, it is. But that's the cause. That's your pond. You like crappie that well enough. That's your turn. That's your, that's your choice. And, and listen, so, we'll get, this, this conversation will get kicked back from a lot of people probably in the industry. Uh, what I can tell you is that in private impoundments, you can manipulate your forage base however you want to within the laws of your state. If you want to stock enough forage to make sure your crappie can grow big and your bass can grow big, you can do that. Fathead minnows, golden shiners, bluegill, shellcrack, trout, goldfish, whatever it is, if you have two competing predator species, or potentially three if you have hybrid striped bass in there, you got hybrid stripes, crappie, and bass, which are all predator species, just feed them enough to keep them thriving. And, and you can... That's where in the private world we get we have the ability to move and change as the client wants to within the laws of each individual state. And you can have two or three predator species uh, that may compete with each other at some level, but you can compensate for that. So let me ask you one more quick question. Would you stop crappie if you're trying to raise trophy largemouth? It depends on the client, but potentially yes. You would you would do it. I uh, yeah, I mean it depends on if you're willing to go that extra mile to make sure that you have what is needed to support both predator populations. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The uh on most of my trophy management, because of the competition scenario that we're just having, um, and what I tell my customers when they choose to do crappie is you are bringing another, uh, you know, another player to the, to the court and you got to feed them. They're going to compete. So if you're cool, not catching trophy, trophy, largemouth, and you're going to have a little bit of competition and you're cool with the two, three pound on that side, you know, uh, and you're going to, your bluegill will still get big because they're eating a lot of times on food and whatnot, but you may not have as many, now you have these awesome slip bobber, you know, fishing over structure crappie. If that's what you want, then crappie uh, is is what you could go after. And I don't look. That, I don't. I don't. I don't think it is a. I don't think it's a mutually exclusive conversation. I think that you can have the best of both, but you have to be willing to put in the effort, or potentially the, the money to make sure that you have the forage base that will consistently feed. That's right. Uh, 
two competing two competing predator species. Yeah, we have one trophy crappie pond, and uh, the amount of maintenance because crappie have a smaller mouth compared to to uh, large mouth. The amount of maintenance that it it takes to feed the the amount of crappie in those uh in that body of water is is pretty intense because you got to get the right size it can't be any bigger than three inches uh three inch bluegill only a certain size extreme large can only eat a three inch bluegill so and bluegills grow fast so uh so you have to have that's talking about what crappie can eat crappie can't eat anything much over about two two and a half inches yeah so that's where a fathead minnow in a crappie population becomes very important yeah fathead minnows don't really get over about two inches and you can stock a, a bunch of them guys but the bass will eat them too especially young of the year bass and even even big bluegill eat them. so yeah uh, you've got to you've got to be prepared to do multiple stockings uh, annually maybe a couple every year uh, and I think you can have the best of both worlds. I know you can have good populations of both, but in terms of trophy fisheries, uh, you've got to be able to, you got to be willing to really manage uh, in an intensive fashion to, to get that snare. Yep. One more thing on crappie kind of, we talking about new stocking ratios from what we've, uh, what we've been taught, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we're stocking more of them. But here's kind of something cool, Troy. We were having a talk earlier. Is now uh, we're looking at feed train crappie, and uh, what yeah, what we can do with those is going to be really cool. Uh, we've been working with feed train crappie for not this market for the actually for uh, the aquaculture market for some time, and uh, you can get them feed trained. You can stock them in a pretty dense uh, area. Uh, what we've learned a little bit about them is that they actually do pretty good and pretty uh, at a higher densities with pretty with uh, low water quality. Uh, the reason is is that if you ever noticed, if you ever any read any fishery reports, lakes that are hypereutrophic, meaning green, dense, you know, very productive ponds and lakes, crappie do very well. And the reason is is that they don't spend a whole lot of energy hunting. They will hang around structure, and they have this huge dorsal fin, if you looked at it, and uh, anal and dorsal fin, where they just move those just very slowly to sit in one spot. How they do it? Like this. Just moving my, moving my hands back and forth. You like that? The, uh, so they don't spend a lot of energy during these stress events. And so where you have low oxygen and everything else. Now, people say, well, you can't haul a crappie. If it gets hot and they haul, but that's totally different. That's putting a stereotype on this particular fish. They actually can survive under low water quality for a long period of time with other other species. And so um, because they can go into state of of just sitting there using very little and consuming very little oxygen. Almost a torpor uh, type of scenario. Yeah, like a topor. Yep. Uh, so uh, so a lot of these little smaller ponds with feed train crappie, you can go to higher densities and they, and they turn out pretty neat. So, uh, we'll be doing a podcast on those as, uh, they come out. Oh, a neat thing with them is that they, uh, you always know it's a feed train crappie, Troy, because they, they, uh, take their lips, the paper mouth lips and they expand them, creating a vacuum. So when they feed on the pellet, they pop. 
And so when you have, you know, a hundred of them popping over a pellet, you know, it sounds pretty cool. So I think that's, well, there's one other thing I want to discuss that that is cool, but Matt has still challenged me to this whole bluegill challenge thing. Oh, and he sent me a video today of these bluegill that are swimming in this pond. And he thinks I can't, how long am I supposed to stay in there through the whole podcast? The whole podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So just did a little review. It's a little pregame on this, but uh, we got some neat things coming in the future with PWNRA and becoming a member. But we're going to set a goal, and if we reach that goal, Troy is going to take uh, him and his wife up here to God's country and go and do a, <laughs> and going to get into a a. We're basically going to put feed on his chest, back. And extremities. We did not say that. That is yeah, we did. I got it recorded, and then uh, and so and sit and climb into the pond while they are. He's going to get feasted on by the most aggressive piranha gills on the planet Earth. I put my hand in this pond, and uh, they literally ate every single hand hair off my hand. First of all. Y'all realize that Matt drinks unsweet tea and lives way far <laughs> north. So his idea, he drinks unsweet tea, y'all. Unsweet. <laughs> I don't even know how to. It's it's amazing we've done like 50 some odd podcasts now. Because <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand that. Second of all, Matt's like done with his pond season for the year because it's already cold up there. <laughs> they got nothing left to do. It's already been done. We down here still struggling in the heat and the humidity. And the that is not true. Look, I got a I got a tan today on my arm that is impressive. Y'all yeah, can see look, it. But yeah. Thirdly, I'm way tougher than a bunch of little bitty old bluegills. I promise. These bluegills. I am. I cannot wait till you get wore out. I'm gonna wear my cowboy hat and my speedo. We got. Make it happen. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned for some really cool things about that. Also, if you get a chance, take a look at uh, our gold sponsor is uh, Society of Lake Management Professionals. And uh, and what is the website, Troy? www.pwnra.org and Lake and Pond Management Questions Content and Community on Facebook. Hashtag we the best. <laughs> That's right. Go to pwnra.org, hit uh, bottom of the first page, and, and you can go to Society Lake Management Professionals. That's for sure. Um, anything you want to, any closing thoughts? Y'all have a blessed Independence Day, and we'll talk to y'all next week. That's right. Thanks again. This podcast, Sitting Dockside, is brought to you by Private Water Natural Resource Association, a nonprofit built just to educate private pond and lake owners in the water quality and fisheries and all of that good stuff. There's videos, there's places to read, and there's a community built right into that website. So if you want to learn more, jump to pwnra.org and click and by all means, make sure that this continues in the future. Podcast, education, video, become a member. If nothing else, 
There's tons of platforms. YouTube, Facebook. Just hit like. Send a comment. We appreciate everything you can do. Here, PWNRA.